be reading this morning from Luke 22, 14 through 16. Luke 22, 14 through 16. When the hour came, Jesus and His apostles reclined at the table. And He said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Thank you, Brad. One of the privileges is being able to stand up here and you get a bird's eye view of who's here and what's going on in people's lives. And uh, We have a few that just kind of stood out to me as I was sitting up here this morning. Uh, I know that last Sunday uh, was Lillian Stewart's first Sunday here. Uh, but we had a lot of visitors here. I didn't even see her. Uh, but I'm going to count this as the first day Wes recognized she was here. And uh, if she's not asleep, Kathy, would you, would you hold her up so everybody can see her? <laughs> yeah, just a beautiful little baby. So we're, we're excited for that. And I look over here and, and Elliot Burgess is back with us. Uh, been abroad, traveling and doing who knows what all over the world uh, the last few months. Um, Lucy, would you mind holding him up so everybody could see him? <laughs> I know that they're excited to have, have Elliot back. Uh, I believe that David and Lucy and Elliot are all leaving for Houston this afternoon. Is that right? Uh, so we want to be sure to remember them in our prayers. And whoever's leading our closing prayer, if you would be sure to do that. Uh, just a lot, of, a lot of things to celebrate and to be prayerful about. Uh, I was looking at the bulletin and I told Shelly, I said, you mean so this stuff is this week? And I keep thinking it's coming up next week. But there's some great opportunities for us this week. Uh, one of which is our Coach for Kids program. It gets its big kickoff this week when they have all the Head Start kids in. And if you don't know, this church is privileged and, and Janet, does, Janet Wagner does a ton of work uh, with Coach for Kids. And virtually every kid in Hardin County, if they need a coat, uh, this church and uh, people associated with this church provide a coat for them. And we're just blessed to be a part of that. But that didn't happen accidentally. Uh, we need some help with that. Uh, some help to pay for these coats. And if you could help with that, uh, if you could see Janet or Pam Castile or Julie Atkinson or anybody on the staff, and we will make sure that that money goes towards getting some children some coats. Uh, but that kickoff is this coming Wednesday night. If you'd like to know more about that, you can talk to, uh, to Janet about that. Also, uh, this next Saturday... Uh, we'll be having our uh, annual Thanksgiving meal giveaway, uh, which means on Wednesday night, we'll need several of you to take home that food, to take it home and cook it. And I believe it's pretty self-explanatory. I actually got in the kitchen last night and tried to cook something, and I realized it wasn't quite as easy as I thought it was going to be. But I'm pretty sure anybody can do this. Right, Dustin? Dustin, could you do it? Okay, Dustin Perkins says he can handle this, so I know you, anybody else can handle this because I've never seen you cook anything. Okay? But if you'd be willing to help with that after services on Wednesday night and then be here on Saturday morning where we'll be put, put those meals together and take them out and distribute them uh, to different people, throughout, uh, to people at the jail, to I believe they're going, uh, they generally go over to the, um, 
to the Jack Jean Shelter. Um, they, they, they generally go over to Teen Challenge and several other people that will receive those meals. Bring your kids. It's one of those great things where it's a great opportunity to come to bring your kids to help them put those plates together and then take them out to people. Um, it's really a, a great thing. So be sure to note all that and even more uh, in your bulletin. I want us to get into our lesson th- th- this, this morning because we are still in the midst of, of what we talk about as the Passion Week of Jesus. And, and it's the time in Jesus' life that we've read a lot about, but a lot of times we, we really struggle to put those things together. Uh, when, when we last left, we were on that Tuesday as Jesus was in the temple, and Jesus had all these discourses, and people were asking Him questions, and He was talking about the scribes and the Pharisees, and, and, and all, all of these great speeches that Jesus was giving. And, and we come to the next day, and Wednesday is is a much more peaceful day. There's, there's not the conflict that's going on, but even though the conflict is not going on, the pressure is beginning to escalate. Because of everything that happened on Tuesday and because of some of the frankness of the words that, that Jesus used on that Tuesday in the temple, people are upset. They were upset when Jesus came to town, and now they're more upset than they've ever been. <coughs> and the truth is, they're out for blood. And it's on this Wednesday that Judas begins to read some of the writing on the wall that, that this ship is going down. That, that this thing that I thought I was a part of, where there was going to be this kingdom that was going to overthrow the Romans, and I was going to be at the forefront of this kingdom, that's not looking like it's going to happen. And Judas begins to, Judas begins to make arrangements on this Wednesday to betray Jesus. It's when he meets and he determines a price. I'll give you Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And as Jesus goes to bed on that Wednesday night, one writer said, on that night, for the very last time in the life of Jesus Christ in this world, on that Wednesday night, He would lay His head down and go to sleep for the very last time. Because when Thursday comes, It is the day of preparation. It's the day of preparation for the Passover. But even more so for our thoughts today as Christians, it's the day of preparation for everything that's about to transpire over the next 24 hours. Jesus gets up on that Thursday morning for the very last time and He tells His disciples who are staying, they're staying outside of the city to go into the city. And, and in the city, He says, you, you'll find a man and this man is going to be carrying a, a water pitcher. And this was, this was not man work. This was woman's work. So it would have been strange. It would have been strange for a man to have had that pitcher of water and he would have stood out. But He said, you, you go to this man and, and He'll show you. He'll show you an upper room that, that's been prepared. And you go into the city and you make preparations. And people have written about whether this was some sort of miraculous interaction or, or something that Jesus had prepared beforehand. And, and truthfully, I don't know the answer to that. I don't think anybody knows. But I do know that they went into the city and they found this man and He showed them through the upper room and they spent that day getting ready. They spent that day getting ready for something that was very, very important to observe the Passover. And, and in their minds, this was, this was it. This was the time that, that every Jew came to Jerusalem. And they didn't come to Jerusalem once a year just to see Jesus. They came to Jerusalem once a year, every year, to observe the Passover. 
This was significant. This was the day. If you were religious, if you were devout, if you were holy, you were there on that day for that purpose. And we're getting ready for it. So they spent all day getting ready, which would have been no small task. They, they would have had to go and, and purchase that lamb, right? That lamb that was without blemish. And then, then they would have had to take that lamb and, and taken it to the temple and, and had, had, had the priest ritually slaughter that animal and, and, and drain the blood out of it. And that blood would have been, would have been sprinkled over the altar. And, and then there are certain choice pieces of meat that, that, that would have been offered to God on the altar from, from that lamb. And then, and then that lamb would have been returned to them and they would have taken it home and, and they would have roasted it, right? They, 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 would, have, they would have roasted the ram. The, not the ram, the lamb on that day. My tongue gets twisted sometimes. They would have roasted this. They, they were basically having a cookout there, but, but it's not just a cookout because they had to be very careful. Very careful that they didn't break any of the bones. That's going to be significant in the coming days as the lamb becomes not just an animal. But the lamb is going to become our Savior. And so as they spend all their day on this Thursday afternoon getting ready, preparing Preparing this upper room for what? For a feast. We're all going to get together and we're going to observe this feast. This feast where they would have eaten, very similar to our potluck meal, if you will. We're getting together to eat. But we're not just getting together to eat, we're getting together to eat for a purpose. And at this meal, they would have had that ram that would have been completely consumed by everyone that was going to be there. They, they would have had that unleavened bread uh, as they would have ritually, rich, ritually searched the house to find any leaven in the house. They would have had wine at that meal, customarily as that drink. They would have had uh, bitter herbs. We read about it in Exodus chapter 12, that, that they had bitter herbs to, to remind them of the bitterness of Egyptian slavery. And then... History tells us that, that they would take those herbs and they would dip them in, in a sort of paste, uh, a paste made from crushed fruit and nuts and moistened with vinegar and wine. It was to remind them, to represent the, the clay that they used to, to make the bricks when they were in Egypt. And everything that was going on was not just for the purpose of having a meal. It was to remind them. It was to remind them of where they were and where God had brought them. To remind them of, of what of what state they were in as those slaves in, in, in Egypt living under the oppression of the Egyptians, making those bricks to support the infrastructure of Egypt. And how God delivered them. And how God brought those ten plagues, those ten supernatural plagues, and how that death angel passed over the homes of God's people. But it struck in every home of the Egyptians. And how they were told to leave, but they were told because God was the one who had delivered them. It was, it was done for the purpose year after year after year to remember what God had done for them. Don't ever forget. Don't ever forget not just what happened in your life, but in your grandparents' life, and your great-grandparents, your great... I don't know how many greats it would have been back, but it was a long time ago. I want you to remember what God has done. That's why they came together for that meal. And so they came into that upper room and Jesus gathers His disciples around the table. And the Bible says, the Bible says in Luke 22, beginning with verse 14, that when the hour had come, 
that he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Jesus was saying, if you could go to the next slide, I don't, this, for some reason this isn't working. Jesus is saying to them, I've been waiting for this. I mean, I've known all along that my death was coming. But I've been waiting for this moment. One last time, I'm going to observe the Passover. One last time, I'm going to come together with my brothers and with my sisters. One last time, I'm going to come together as the people of God to observe this Passover meal. You know, one of the reasons that we believe that the ministry of Jesus was probably only between three and four years is because that's how many times we read about Jesus going to Jerusalem to observe the Passover. This was important. This was significant. Can I ask you this morning, what, what would you do if you, if, if, you knew that, if you knew that you only had a few days left? Because Jesus knew that, didn't He? I mean, when Jesus went into, went into the city of Jerusalem and, and the people put their coats on the palm leaves and shouted out, Hosanna, and oh Lord, to deliver us, save us, when all that was going on, Jesus knew. They didn't know, but Jesus knew. I'm going here to die. All throughout His ministry, when He would make reference to the fact that His time had not yet come, His disciples didn't understand, but He understood. I'm here in this world to die, and the, and the clock is ticking down. And one last time, I wanted to come together with my brothers in Christ. I wanted to come together with my fellow disciples. What would you do? What would you do if you knew you could only do it one more time? I love, I love the opportunity I get to visit with people from time to time. And, and, and one person that, that, that is such a sweet person to visit with, and, and if you ever have time, you should go see this person, is Miss Gilberta McCaslin. A lot of you know Miss Gilberta. She just lives right over here. But one of the things that she talks about all the time, because she can't get out anymore, hasn't been able to get out for, for, for quite some time, but, but, she's, but she can still see what's going on. She still functions. She, she still lives by herself. She, says, she, said, she told me once, she said, every Sunday... Every Sunday, I, I see the cars passing by. She's talking about your cars. She's talking about my, about, about my car that passed down Ranch Street here coming to worship. And she says this. She says, Oh, what I wouldn't give to be able to come together with the body one more time. And you'll find that's a common theme. You go into our nursing homes, into our hospitals, and you, and, you, and you visit with your brethren who are struggling. And what, and what do they say? I just want to come together. I just want to sing those praises. I, I, I just want to observe that, that, that Lord's Supper one last time. I would give anything if, if, I could, if I could have that. Can I tell you that that person understands what's going on here? To that person, this, this is not about... This is not about the, the, the highlights being the opening prayer and the, and, and the closing prayer. This is about a time of worship. This is about a time of coming together to give honor, to give preference to God. And Jesus says, says to His disciples, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you. This has been on my mind. I want to be here. And the truth is, I know exactly well that I'll never do this again. 
I'll never do this again in my current state. I'll never do this again until the kingdom of God is established. And the Bible says in verse 19 that He took some of the bread and when He had given thanks, He broke it. And He gave it to them saying, This is My body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of Me. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, we are reading here in Luke chapter 22 about the first time. In the midst of this Passover meal, Jesus calls their minds aside. This is not about Egypt. This is not about Pharaoh. This is not about the ten plagues. I want you to understand that there's something even greater than that. I want you to understand that in your mind. This is not about bread and wine. This is not about crackers and grape juice. I want you to understand when you partake of that bread, this is the body of Christ. This is my body. I often wonder in my own mind how they would have reflected back upon this. So often in the ministry of Jesus, in spite of the fact that He tried to tell them, they didn't understand it. And we probably wouldn't have understood it either. But they had to have thought back and said, you know, I know what He was talking about now. Have you had those, do you have those moments in your life that you, you look back to things that people have said to you, maybe a parent or a grandparent or a friend or a co-worker, and they, and they said something to you, and, and, you, and you thought they were just talking, and, and you, you didn't understand the significance, but now you look back and you say, I know what they were talking about. I know exactly what they were talking about. I think they must have thought that. They could not have known the importance of what was about to take place. The Bible says that in the same way, He took the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in My blood. This is the new covenant. The covenant, that new covenant that Jeremiah the prophet had spoken about there in Jeremiah chapter 31. We have been a people of the covenant. The covenant that God made with Moses and all of Israel when He said, I will be your God and you shall be My people. Right? That agreement. But the prophet said there's going to be a new covenant. There's going to be a better covenant. And Jesus sits in this Passover at this Passover feast and they would have understood all of these things. They knew the prophets. This is the new covenant. This is My blood. That's what was going on. It's the challenge, but it's also the privilege for the early church and for us to, to do the very same thing that took place in this, in this upper room on the first day of every week, on the Lord's Day. Not to remember Egyptian captivity, but to remember, but to remember the death and the burial and the resurrection of our Lord. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul would, Paul would talk to the church at Corinth who were struggling. Who had, turned, who had turned this feast into something that was very inward, into something that, that, that was even sinful, and taken the focus off of God. And he said, this is not what was instituted. This is not what happened in the beginning. And he said, this is, these are the things that have been revealed. And he recounts what happened in this upper room. That's what we do. Why do we come together on the first day of every week? Well, at least in part, we come together to remind us to remind us that we are not here by our own strength. 
We are not here by our own power. We are not here because we are so worthy. We are here because of God and because of what God has done. And we need a reminder of that every time we come together. And that happens here. Just like for those men, this wasn't about bread and wine and herbs. It was about something that was to happen here. That's where worship happens, brethren. It happens here. What are we doing? Are we breaking a cracker and passing the plate? Are we getting the cup and passing the plate? Or do we find a way to remind ourselves this is about, this is about the body of Jesus Christ. This is about the blood that He poured out so that we could have that new relationship. It is that opportunity when we look back to the cross. We look back to the body of Jesus that we will talk about in the coming weeks. We look at the blood that, that was shed on that day. And never forget that. We had our Veterans Day this last week and something that we should never forget are the sacrifices that those men have made. But friends, even more important than the sacrifice of any veteran, we must never forget about the sacrifice that Jesus made. It is so easy to live my life and never think about Jesus. To never think about what He has done upon the cross. And we come together so that we may never forget it is our opportunity to look up to Jesus in heaven. To face Him. To understand that He was not in the grave. That He arose from the grave. It is our opportunity to look forward to that second coming. We will, we will come together, friends. The body of Christ will come together on the Lord's Day, on every Lord's Day. And we will remember His sacrifice until the day that He comes again until the day that we are in His presence and we don't need that reminder. And we'll look forward to that day. It is our opportunity to look out to our brethren, to share, to commune, to fellowship. That's not just sharing a meal. That is an intimate bond that we share together as the body of Christ. That's what it's supposed to be. That's what God intended for it to be. It is an opportunity for us to look inward and to examine our own hearts and to ask ourselves the question that only we can ask ourselves, am I reflecting His glory? Or was His sacrifice in vain? I can answer that question. You can answer that question. And all that is happening for the very first time in this in this, the upper room, it is not just crackers and grape juice. And if it is, then put it down and put your mind in the right place. All of this is going on, and in the midst of this and this talk about this talk about the kingdom, this talk about the activity, they, they begin to have a, ch a chant among themselves, and and they begin to talk about what what is one of their favorite subjects. It's actually something that they talk about quite often. They begin to have the same discussion of who is going to be the greatest. Maybe they're thinking about the kingdom and they're excited about the kingdom that is coming and who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? Is it going to be Peter? Peter could be the greatest in the kingdom. Is it going to be Judas? Judas is the one who controls the money, who controls the purse strings. Is, is, is it going to be Andrew? Is it going to be James or John, the sons of thunder? I don't 
the answer, but, but they certainly were interested in it. They certainly were interested in, in being of the greatest. What's it going to be like? Maybe they were looking at their seating arrangement and who was seated closest to Jesus and who was seated farther away. You know, people think about that kind of stuff, don't they? Who's going to sit where? And why, why did you sit here? And why did you have me sit over there? And is this a reflection of how you are? Well, on and on we go. And here in the midst, here in the midst of one of the most amazing and wonderful and significant events in the history of the world, the institution of the Lord's Supper of Jesus Christ. When He says this is about what's going to happen, this is about My body and My blood, do you understand? Do you understand what I'm sharing with you for the first time ever? Do you understand that Christians will come together for thousands of years afterward to do what we're doing here today because of what's happening here today? Do you understand that? This is significant. This is special. This is important. And in the midst of that, the disciples of Jesus decide they're going to have a conversation about themselves and about who's going to be the greatest, about who's going to get the attention. Tell us, Jesus, who's going to be the greatest? Has that ever happened to us? I'm convinced that happens all the time in the church. It happens all the time in the church. But there are amazing and wonderful and great and significant and powerful and intimate things that are going on. And sometimes, instead of actually seeing those things and recognizing those things and giving God glory for those things, what do we do? We say, I want to talk about me. I want to talk about, about my position. I want to talk about my honor. I want to talk about my recognition. We get so distracted by personal and in the long run, insignificant things. Jesus has tried to teach them over and over. Greatness. Greatness in the kingdom is not like greatness that you think. Greatness is not about you receiving the honor and the glory and the awe and everybody saying, aren't you wonderful? And won't you sit at my right hand? And let's mention your name. And let's put you in a place of... That's not what it's about. That's not what the church is about. That's what every other institution of man is about, but the church is different. The kingdom of God is different, and I struggle with that, and you struggle with that, and they struggle with that. And Jesus said, I want you to understand that's not what this is about. That's not what my death and my sacrifice is about. Verse 25 of Luke 22, Jesus said, The kings of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. Do you know who I am? And those who have authority over them, they are called the benefactors. But it is not so with you. It's not supposed to be so with us. But let him who is the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as the servant. For who is greater? The one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? It's not the one who reclines at the table, but I am among you as one who serves. Have you seen anything in my life? Has anything in my life, does anything in the life of Jesus tell you that, that, that this world was about Jesus and His wants and His desires and His honor and His recognition? It's not there. The example that we see is of a man who was wronged and slighted and beaten and persecuted at every single turn. 
but He was here to serve. He was here to serve. Yes, their service would not be forgotten. It wouldn't be forgotten. No, don't we worry about those things? We talked in our Bible class this morning about, about vengeance and worrying that somebody's, somebody's not going to be punished. Well, by the same token, friends, punish, um, uh, rewards are not going to be ungiven. If you have lived and sacrificed and served God, God sees that. God knows that. And He reassures them. He reassures them. You are those who have stood by me in my trials. Just as my Father has granted me a kingdom, I grant you. You will eat and you will eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. You will sit on the throne judging the twelve tribes of Israel. He reassures them. Listen. Listen, God's, God's not going to forget about you. God's not going to forget about, about what you've done. You are going to be a vital part of this kingdom. You're going to have a personal relationship with me in this kingdom. But that's not what it's about. It's not about your greatness. It's not been about my greatness. And then John gives us John gives us a visual in John 13. But Jesus does something. He gets up from the table. He gets up from the table and He pours water into a basin. And He begins to wash the disciples' feet. And He begins to wipe them with the towel with which He was girded. Can you picture this? They're in the midst of this meal and Jesus is having this very formal moment and they start bickering and arguing and making it personal and self-centered. And Jesus says that's not what it's about. And He just gets up. And He doesn't say anything. He just gets up and He goes over and He pours some water into a bowl and He gets some towels and He gets down on His knees and He begins to wash their feet. Why did He do that? Why did He do it at this time and in this moment? Because He wanted to make a point. He was trying to teach them. They didn't understand. We don't understand. I want you to understand I'm the Son of God. Ultimately, I want you to understand I'm going to die on the cross. I want you to know that I am the Master, the Son of God. I am the Teacher. I am the One with authority. And I'm going to wash your feet. Can you imagine? Some of you have bosses. Can you imagine if one of your bosses came in? One of your bosses came in, Nikki, tomorrow you go into work, and one of your bosses comes in and they said, could I wash your feet? What would you think? He says, I don't even have words for what I'd think. Right? Right? What would you think? What would you think if anybody, let alone the Son of God, decided He was going to wash your feet? We had the interaction where where Simon Peter says there in John 13, you're not going to wash my feet. Why? Because I know who you are. You're the the Son of God. I'll confess that. Jesus says, oh yes, I am. If I don't wash your feet, then I have no part of you. You don't understand, Peter. And Peter says, well, then you can wash my whole body. Jesus, friends, was not concerned in the upper room about the filthiness of their feet. It's not what He was concerned about. This morning, we are not concerned about the filthiness of someone's body. He was concerned with the selfish ambition of their heart. He was trying to teach them. And He's trying to teach us. 
Some people have suggested that this might have been the last effort to reach Judas, to reach out to him and to make a difference. I don't know. I do know that Jesus Jesus doesn't always ask us to die a terrible death on the cross. I mean, if, if that's what He asked, would, 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 would we do that? I think most of us would. Now, I've said it before, but, but, but I'm firmly convinced that, that if Jesus Christ came up to most of us and he, put, and he put a gun to, or someone put a gun to our head and they said, you can either curse God or you can die, we'd say, I will die in the service of the Lord. I will die standing for what is right and for what is true. But for very few of us in this room will that ever happen. Instead, Jesus says, I want you to wash people's feet. I want you to wash people's feet. I want you to wash the feet of people that you shouldn't have to wash the feet of. And the truth is, if you're not willing to do that, if I'm not willing to lower myself, if I'm not willing to be the sacrifice, then it's very unlikely that I'll really be willing to die for Jesus Christ. Paul talks about this in Philippians chapter 2 when he writes about the mind of Christ. And I love, I love the things that he has to say about who Christ was when he says that we should do nothing from selfish or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, let us let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Why? Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. He's trying to make the point. The point that will revolutionize our Christian walk. The point that if we don't understand, we will always struggle with the things that Christ asks us to do. He is not asking us to make sacrifices in our life. He is asking us to be the sacrifice. I am the sacrifice. I'm trying in this upper room to help you understand that. And you're bickering about who's going to be the greatest. About what someone said or what someone didn't say. About things that are all about you. And friend, it's not about you. It's not about you, it's not about you, it's not about you, it's not about you, it's not about them, it's not even about me. It's about Jesus Christ. It's about His sacrifice for us that changes everything. Jesus is saying, I am the sacrifice. And I'm calling you not just to live in my kingdom, I'm calling you to be the same sacrifice. To serve, to serve just like Jesus. They talked about a lot of other things in that upper room, things that we don't have the time to go into. I told Shelley, I think I could have preached a three-part series on the upper room. There's so much that goes on in that night of preparation. They talked about the betrayal of Judas. Jesus just told them, one of you is going to betray me. And, and I'm telling you now, because when it happens, I don't want you to think that I was caught off guard. I don't, I don't want you to think that I didn't know this was coming. When it happens, I want you to have even more evidence that I am who I say I am. He talked about the fact very openly that he was going to die. They struggle with that. 
and struggle with that just like we would if we were with a friend, if we were with a friend in the wee hours of the night and they said they were going to die. And Jesus, Jesus comforted them. He told them the things they needed to hear. He talked to them about their relationship with the world and He prepared them for the fact that, listen, the world is going to hate you. I want you to understand that. Because the world hated me. He talked to them about the coming of the Holy Spirit, of that, of that comforter. He talked to them about that power that would come. And, and ultimately, they would wind up waiting in Jerusalem for the fulfillment of many of these things. And Jesus prayed on that night. That Lord's Prayer that we read in John 17. You want to know how to pray? you got a whole chapter of the Son of God praying to His Father. You go and you read that, and Jesus lifts up His eyes and He prays. He prays for their unity. He prays that they might be one so that people might see the oneness of He and His Father. And as, the things, as things begin to come to a conclusion, Matthew 26 and verse 30, I love what it says. It says that they sang a hymn and they went out to the Mount of Olives. It was the traditional way to end the Passover meal. But I just like the imagery. I like the imagery of a group of disciples of Christ coming together and talking about life and death and the most difficult things that have been and the most difficult things that were to be. Talking about that sacrifice that Jesus would provide and that they would be called to be. Before we go, let's sing together. Do you sing? Do you sing with people outside of this body? When your family comes together, I hope your family has some time that they come together and they give attention to God. Do you sing together? I struggle sometimes with our family devotionals and the appropriate things to do with those. But can I tell you that one thing that made me uncomfortable the first couple of times we did it, but I love it? We just sing together. We sit there in our living room and we discuss a verse or a passage and then we just sing. We sing Amazing Grace. We sing uh, Nothing But the Blood. We, we sing Sanctuary. We sing a song of praise to God. I want to tell you that's powerful. I mean, you want to lead your family? You want to make an impact? Sing together. Lift your voices. Overcome that, ambition, that, that, that uncomfortableness and sing together. Jesus sang with His disciples. And they left that place and they went... They went to the Mount of Olives, to the place that we will read about and talk about next week, the place where Jesus will struggle within Himself. He has called others, but next He will struggle within Himself. Because that upper room is a time that is probably hard to overstate the significance. I know there's more that went on there that we simply can't cover today. But I want us to understand that in many ways, we're called to that upper room. We're called to sit down at the table of Jesus Christ. We're called to dine with Him. We're called to learn from Him. We're called to be healed by Him. We're called to follow Him. That's what happened that night. And friends, that's what happens in this place. That's what happens when God's people come together 
every first day. You're being called to the upper room. Will you come? Will you come this morning? Will you come to be baptized? Will you come to repent? Will you come to, will you come to learn and be strengthened by the only one who can? That's the invitation. Follow that invitation just as those disciples did as we stand and as we sing.